It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, one actor, all working together to try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And Jeremy, we've spent this month um, talking about the emerging world of AI and Yes, I'm sure our robot overlords are going to be taking over, uh, but we've had a really good discussion about some of the positives and some of the you know things that we can do. So where are we going to start today? It's certainly been interesting. I found, an, so continuing our conversation from episode, this is episode, I think, 137, so episode 136. For those of you just tuning into this one, if you haven't seen part one yet, the beginning of there, you'll see my personal like disclaimer, my personal thoughts on AI on the whole, will it destroy the world or not? I won't repeat that now. Again, nobody knows. I found an article today, but first I want to mention, I read an article. So Ice Cube, the, the, I think last week, said AI is the devil and goes into all this stuff in terms of the music industry and auto-tuning and that kind of thing. I think someone came up with, I'm probably going to get, I think it was someone came out and and used AI to combine, I think, Drake and The Weeknd's voice and create a song and ice cube saying look people want to hear just the the actual you know the artist so it'll be interesting it's interesting how this is touching all the industries i mean really really all the industries and i'll mention tom i wasn't i'm not old enough to have been to the first woodstock but i was I old enough. <laughs> what's that but i am <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> But I'm old enough to have gone to the second one and not a whole lot of people. Does anyone remember the second one? It was in uh, it was 1999. It was in, I think, Reno, New York, I believe I was uh, I'll call it lucky enough to go to that one. And it was the first time I saw Ice Cube in concert. And I have this awesome photo because it's front and center. I mean, there was a Netflix documentary, by the way. I'm going to go off on tangents here. There's a Netflix documentary on Woodstock 99. You should check it out. It's quite interesting. I, I got through like through part of it. It was an, it was absolute chaos, the, the entire thing. And, uh, but I have this, I have this photo. It's still in this frame. I mean, this is from 1999. The frame's got dust on and everything front and center ice cube standing there holding up the microphone. I was so proud to get that shot, but that was the one, one of the things I remember from from that experience the other one is the showers they had these open showers i don't know who wants to hear this but in order to take a shower and at woodstock there you had to walk through like two feet of puddled water because there was no irrigation system i mean <laughs> watch watch the doc anyway so we've gone from ai to ice cube to woodstock to puddles of water within 10 seconds so that's something that tom i'm going to put it on you that's something we can be proud of <laughs> now back to ai 
I found this article. I'll put all these links once Tom pulls it back and other people start to join in. But I found this article. <clears throat> Here's how AI is being used to unlock the secrets still hidden in the brain. Because we're talking about this and, and basically how AI can make humans become better communicators. But in a sense, it's also how can it make us smarter? Because I, you know, communication has a lot to do with emotional intelligence and those kinds of things. So researchers at Columbia University are now exploring breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and how it can be used to unlock the the secrets of the human brain. And basically, AI can contain these clues to how our living brain actual work actually works. Because it's really we know about as much about the brain as we do the the depths of the ocean. There's just so much that we don't know. So it was the National Science Foundation, and they got seven of these universities together, got a headquarters designated, $20 million received for the Institute of Artificial and Natural Intelligence. So that's interesting. Now there's an institute for both combined. And they're looking at these, these different neural pathways. And I'm, I'm going to read a little bit verbatim here and a little bit summary. One of the central ideas behind AI and how they've developed AI is to actually mimic the brain structure, because that's how they, what they've done. One of the ways that they started to create this thinking machine is to mimic what we do. So when you look at the human brain neural networks, they've taken artificial intelligence and tried to model off of that. So if you think about it, these researchers can take that as a model, but since you can't really mess i mean you can't can't really mess around with the human brain and do these experiments where you're taking one neural pathway and copying it and just you can't it's just not ethical to do it and i don't know i'm sure there's a, someone somewhere trying to do it but they can do that with machines so they can start to create these different pathways and start to figure out they call it a transformal neural network that's been used in the past 5 years and what they're doing is using this to start to get closer to the human brain by learning to attend the most relevant words and phrases in a question. We talk a lot about questions in communication in order to arrive at an appropriate response. So this phrase sticks out to me because using relevant words and phrases in a question to arrive at an appropriate response. I see this not, so you look at AI, it's like, all right, the response from the AI, are they giving you the information that you're requesting? as we're thinking about it in terms of your general, you know, chat GPT. But when I think about appropriate response, I think about, about an appropriate response in the other party, the other person that you're speaking to, or the community that you're speaking to, what is the appropriate response? And here's where we talk about Tom. We've, we've talked a lot. We even had an old, we had, we even used to do these deep dive sessions and clubhouse sessions on what to say and how to say it. Because the, uh, what we say elicits either a defensive response in someone else or a helpful response in someone else. And we can find when we can finally train our own brains, because we talk about training AI, when we can finally train our own brains to work on eliciting a, a helpful or an advocate type of response or even a de-escalation response, that's when we start to become more effective. I'll share this and I'll share the other resources that we may look into today. Tom, over to you. Well, now you got me thinking, Jeremy, because you know, we we have had those wonderful conversations and and we <laughs> we should do more of those shows because they were really fun. Uh, but we both teach people to become better communicators. 
are we going to be made, you know, are we going to lose our, our potential in that network because AI will be a much better teacher of communication to humans? I th- I've thought about that over this past week. And the question out there, so just looking at the looking at the industry of coaching, and a lot of times coaching, when you're looking at whether it's for personal or for like executive coaching, a big part of that is the communication piece and how to become better communicators. And I think it's something, I, I recall something like 80%, 80 percent seems really high, but I think that's the number. Something like 80% of, of businesses out there are open to some kind of coaching for themselves or their employees. It's, it's a high number, let's put it that way. Right. But then when you look at the ability for AI to coach other people, because you can get into that, I think it, I still think it's all going to come back to that human part of it and that human connection. Because A, it might be less time consuming because if you're going to train an AI model, you've got to train it. You've got to, you got to tell it all about your business, all about your particular situation. And yes, what it spits out can actually be helpful because in my, in my playing around, I'll play around and, you know, pretend to have that kind of real, I shouldn't call it a relationship, that, that kind of interaction with the AI to see what it comes up with and see whether or not it's something I've been practicing, whether I agree, disagree, and a lot of it is helpful information. It's kind of like if I were to, if I were to ask AI about, you know, acting and stage. See, I already don't even know what to talk about, Tom. Stage setups and those kinds of things. It would be completely new to me. I could learn from that. I could learn a lot from that. But it would be old news to you. So that's kind of what I'm experiencing when I'm when I'm doing it. But at the same time, it all comes back to if I want to learn about. I don't know how to become an actor and how to set up a stage properly. It's no different than what we've been doing for the past 10 to 15 years. You can go to the internet and you can look up some stuff and you can look at some videos. You can also go to AI. You're going to get some things. The AI just might be more relevant. However, I'm still going to want to work with Tom because I have the human interaction and more validation. And when I say validation, that's one of the biggest aspects of communication and coaching. If anyone's an executive coach out there, you know that the 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 phase for hit the phase, the phrase it's lonely at the top is very very true. CEOs, your execs, it's very lonely. Either you have a lot of yes people or you you feel like you're on this island with yourself. That's why CEO groups and networking CEO groups are so effective. But you'll you notice though that simply letting an executive know that they're not absolutely crazy is one of the best things things that you can offer to them because you do it in a, obviously in a coaching manner but you're able to validate that their their thoughts are valid their ideas are valid their concerns their challenges their worries their struggles are valid and that's an important point point is that human to human interaction with someone else again it's lonely at the top it's not going to get a whole lot less lonely at the top with AI. You know, AI, it's interesting, Tom, I know I'm going over time for your question, but this is leading into some interesting stuff. When you look at space psychology, they're starting to create robots. And this is in the the scientific literature out, out there. They're working on creating robots with artificial intelligence as companions 
for astronauts on deep space missions, missions that will be uh, when you look at the different orbits, you look at the either the lunar based models or the deep space. So now you're looking at 90 days, three months and even up to six or nine months of travel. So they're looking at how AI robots can actually provide companionship. Now, when we think about it, that kind of makes sense because at the same point, you're you're stuck generally with the same four to six people in what's called an ICE environment, uh, isolated, contained, and extreme. I think I got that right, environment. But as social beings now, we're not in these isolated, contained, and extreme types of environments. So we don't need to take whatever we can get in order to have in order to have that that social nature and to to reduce loneliness so there you go mr tom <laughs> i i hope that on those long trips they're also sending a psychologist to maybe the first person we eat but you know <laughs> it's actually a big part of it tom now you opened it again so i'm going to take take more time that, but that's what it is. So you think about IO psychologists. IO psychologists are, are the ones that are doing all this really intense research. And there's this interesting area called space psychology, but IO psychologists do play an absolutely integral part, especially when you think about the selection and the training and the assessment uh, aspect of astronauts and the every single thing that they have to go through to make sure that they've got everything from resilience to emotional intelligence to just everything that it takes to work together with with a confined team. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting field for sure. Tom, and this is it. I'm not going to say anything else until I do. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, this sounds absolutely great, but there's some entrepreneur somewhere who's going, hmm, this is wonderful. Robot girlfriends. That's what my next company is going to be. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's good for society. Uh, but Lee has his hand up. So let's go to him. You know, uh, uh, I'm not even sure where to go at this point. I mean, Jeremy just kept going and I forgot I even had my hand up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I will say to, to, to Jeremy's point, who wouldn't want to work with Tom? I mean, come on. That was probably the most important thing out of everything Jeremy said. But, um, you know, it, it's an interesting thought, though, when you when when you said about the, uh, you know, teaching language and that sort of thing, because, you know, uh, I think we've discussed it before about the, you know, the differences in, you know, slang and regional dialects. And, you know, this word means something different there than it does here. And, and all these little nuances that are out there and and the well first you have the bias in the ai based on whoever you know trained it so there's always going to be some form of bias in your ai because you're going to have the you know the, even if it's unconscious bias we all have some and it's going to affect the the training of the ai so uh which of course is always the danger you see in sci-fi of the you know the software ai is trained by the evil genius they take over the world they blow things up you know so you have to worry you have to watch that sort of thing which of course leads into the ethics but you know you may have an ai that can perfectly teach the queen's english by all of the finer points of grammar and everything else and you could learn that from the ai and not be able to communicate with anyone because no one will have any idea what you're talking about because as much as we would like to think so, very few, if any of us, actually use completely proper and appropriate grammar for whatever language we speak. Because of all those aforementioned regionalities, slang, you know, whatever else. And I mean, just in English speaking world, you know, 
I can speak to someone from the UK and I can say something that they will take completely out of context that I meant it in because they're looking at it from their point of view, uh, which goes back to Jeremy's point about the the, the point from the other person. Um, and I, I did I didn't know that we had a field called space psychology. Uh, that's really interesting, and that's really germane, I think, because it, it kind of fits in with military psychology because it's very similar. Uh, you know, small groups, austere conditions, you know, isolated, and all the various challenges you have there: interpersonal communications, conflict, resiliency, uh, and just not losing your marbles. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, and so, in the interest of not going down the rabbit hole too far, I will stop there. Well, thank you very much. And Linda Ann, let's go to you. This is such an exciting conversation to me. And I think that especially as consultants and coaches, it's a critical conversation that we need to have because the way I'm seeing it evolve for me is, you know, I can gather information from AI and it gives me a more complete scope of content to think about and to use in, in whatever processes, whether it's consulting or coaching or development of programs and, and so forth. But just, just for example, I wasn't, I wasn't at the podcast last week, right? And I hadn't had a conversation that challenged my intellect the way this does. And I've missed it. I found a big difference in, wow, I was really looking forward to this conversation because I felt like I was losing my edge already. And um, so that's, I don't know how that fits in with how you interact with AI. I don't know that there's um, you know, and when I sit and, and coach some of my, my clients, I I sit there and and I'll tell them if they get distracted or whatever, and and I'm trying to communicate with them that I'm mirroring them or how I'm trying to in a, to communicate with them in a way that they're comfortable communicating. And I don't know that even a robot it would take. I think we're a ways from from a robot being able to read that in in a person. So. I I love what it offers as a as a tool and especially things like it can analyze communication data, right? So the way I see that is what if there's a piece, and I'm there probably already is, um, like on Microsoft Office, right? On Teams, and you've got team teams of people communicating and and it analyzes the communication process to let you because I've been in. Uh, companies where there were significant silos, right? And it really damaged the way that projects were managed and delivered. And so if you had the ability to have, you know, an unbiased or an outside uh, tool or to look at the communication process and give feedback that wasn't based on a personal opinion, I think it would be more well-received and it might facilitate a change in that communication process. I know I went off on three different tangents, but they were all good tangents. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, you know, AI as a tool for a coach, I think, is going to become invaluable. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think what Linda just said is so important. I think it's important for us to look at AI as a tool for anybody listening who has ever had a good teacher. If you've been fortunate to have a good teacher in your school career, or maybe multiple good teachers, you know that a good teacher has the ability to pull you in and keep your interest and entertain you and 
and allow you to be wowed by what they're teaching you. There is something so special about a good teacher. No AI can ever replace that. AI can provide you with facts and information, and it will be faster at searching through things. But that human component cannot be replaced. There is certain humanness that we as humans appreciate, and I think we all need it. We are social by nature. So that brings me to the next point of AI for companionship. Well, first of all, this is not a new concept. For any of you who are old enough to remember the TV show Knight Rider, if you remember the car that had AI, right? That was quite a relationship between the driver and Kit, the car, I think that was his name, right? And uh, they talked to each other and had conversations and solved crime or whatever they did. And that was kind of the infancy of this idea of AI as companionship. But Tom, it sounds like you don't know this next piece, AI or robots as life companions already exists. You can buy yourself a robot mate and you can get a robot child. So that already exists. And it it um, it is raising a lot of eyebrows and there's a lot of controversy around it. But we are at a point where people are truly exploring the idea of whether or not we can have the same kind of interpersonal relationship or connection with a non-human. And I say, no, I think it'll take you only so far. You can't replace that humanness, but that's already out there. So it's really important to know these kinds of things because when it shows up on your doorstep, it's quite a surprise. Westworld, here we come. Um, (laughs) I love that show too. And I love Knight Rider. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your I.O. path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an I.O. psych practitioner, check out CBOC's I.O. Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established I.O. practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's I.O. or applied I.O. psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. So, Jeremy, how long before we can invite AI to be a guest on Work Cookie and we can sit there and ask AI questions about AI? I'm guessing we could do that. To, like next, next week, we could probably do it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sure there's something out there now that you mention it that would be quite fun to do. So, gonna have to look into that. I'm there is there's got to be something. I mean, actually, if you think about it, we could sit here and well, I'm thinking of like your Alexas and your 
you're those kinds of things. But I'm guessing that there's a way, there's the technology that already exists that's out there. I will mention that. So that example with with at, with Night Rider and with Kit, it made me think of because we're talking about this communication as, aspect of it and companionship. If you have a dog, the dog cannot talk to you. Do we talk to the dog even though it can't talk to us? We always talk to the dog. We're always talking to the dog. The dog can understand us to an extent and under, understands mostly tone of voice and, of course, you know certain phrases. But think of the companionship we get from a dog, and it can't even talk. It can't even respond. So that's it's something interesting. Back so two years, Tom, before Woodstock '99, I wrote a paper for a science, technology, and society class. It was a long time ago. I have the physical copy somewhere. I'm going to try to find it. And I predicted the down. Uh, so this is a long time ago. I predicted that the internet, more specifically, I guess, leading to AI would eventually potentially be the downfall of human society simply in terms of reproduction. And I remember I wrote in this paper about virtual reality. And I remember writing, you know, I'm like, I'm still in my, I'm still in my teenage years. I remember writing, you know, people will go in virtual reality and experience a beach scene rather than going to the beach. And people will start to have you know, online relationships and virtual relationships in which they can't actually physically get together. Therefore, they can't physically reproduce. And it's just interesting to see that odd, you know, prediction from such a long time ago. And now we see different things like, of course, you know, online dating was a thing and then it was like not a thing. And now I'm just guessing online dating is just completely acceptable and whatever. And even in like, you know, you've got these like shows where people are, well, it's like 90 day fiance or something. I don't know if that's the one where they're, they, they're meet someone for 90 days and they have to go to another country and they get married and all this kind of stuff. And if you look at the birth, <clears throat> there, there are studies that came out about the birth population since 2007 and they can't figure out birth populations have gone down amongst every demographic. So normally you'd be able to pick out a demographic in which the birth rate is going down and, and find out what's going on. A lot of people try to, to hook it up to the, the financial crisis of 2008 and say that it had a lot to do with that. But there's no they, they can't figure it out. The birth population has gone down. But when you think about it, what has happened, the, the iPhone, the smartphones, because it used to be internet. Yeah, we had it before that. But in order to be on the internet, you had to be at your desk. So now it's just one of the possible explanations when there is no other explanations that finding companionship per se, or something else to do, or whatever has contributed to that. So it makes me think in the next 20 something years, what else from that paper I wrote is going to present itself? So this is an interesting, interesting conversation, to say yeah. the least. <laughs> yeah, and and is it better for us? You know, that's one of the discussions that we 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 keep turning to head without asking the question: Is this development actually going to be good for us? And and we don't really know until we test it. So it becomes this, you know, almost revolving door. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. 
So a couple of things. First thing about the decline of uh, birth rates, there has been some talk about technology being an influence on that because we spend so much more time with our screens than we do with each other. And people are choosing um, technology over other humans, and that could potentially be an influence. The other thing goes back to, Tom, your question about inviting AI to the show. For any of you who have never heard of Sophia, look up Sophia the robot. She has actually become, she's been granted citizenship by Saudi Arabia in 2017. So we have a robot that exists that is a citizen of a country. So inviting someone to dinner or to the podcast is not that far away because you could do it now. So any, anybody who doesn't know that, look up Sophia the, the uh, robot and you'll see that. It's very interesting. Wow. Thank you very much for that. Rich, let's go to you. I just, one thing about you know the the whole human experience here um a physicist uh michio kaku you know some people like him some people hate him right but uh you know he's he's written about ai and and you know that type of uh computing you know for years but even recently uh i remember seeing an article i, I believe it was new york something i don't remember what it was exactly but uh, i could look it up but yeah, he was saying that you know, really everything that comes out of generative AI is something that was written by a person, right? So there is this human aspect to what's coming out of there. So I think that's one of the things that we kind of all relate to also, um, you know, psychologically, just because it sounds like a person. It, uh, so it's, it's, it's come from somebody. That's all I wanted to add to that. Yeah, there, there's a human touch on, on all of this. And, but let me ask you this, because sometimes, you know, if I'm developing a new technology that's going to change the world, um, I can actually do it for the better, or I can be <laughs> uh, use it to manipulate people. So is it, you know, it's sort of like garbage in, garbage out. Do we have to sort of, when this new technology comes forward, do we have to look at the people who have created it and, and try to see what their motives were? Yeah. I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, we're all we're all you know ethically bound to you know benevolence and non-maleficence, right? But uh, that doesn't mean everybody does that. Right? Yeah. So there's you know that intent is everything, you know, and that's 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 the other human aspect of how AI is going to work, right? Right. Um, Linda, Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I, Rich, just made me my brain think about that's what he said about um, everything that they utilize basically has been written by a person. Right. But that's, we're so close to the beginning right now. And so if you go in and we're asking it AI to uh, collect information, analyze it, and then develop a conclusion about it. And that becomes part of the knowledge base. It, de it derives its answers from how long is it going to take for it to be and using derivatives from AI to collect information and draw new conclusions? So I'm seeing that that human piece can be very much diluted in a fairly short period of time. And I'd love people to, to take me to task on that. <laughs> no, I actually agree with you because, you know, at least in my mind, the first thing that happens is that, you know, 
IO psychologists will get together. They will train AI so it can do research. It can, you know, evaluate the research, look at everything. It will spit out, you know, here's a process that should be done. But there's going to be an IO consultant in between that who's going to look at that data and interpret it. But I know that as soon as that happens, there's going to be an entrepreneur who's not an IO psychologist who is going to go, well, I can just take this software and it'll just spit out this answer. And I don't need to spend the money of having an IO to interpret it. I can just give it to my clients and it could be garbage. Um, so that, that's what worries me. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. One of the articles for today is called Why Johnny Can't Prompt, How Non-AI Experts Try and Fail to Design uh, Large Language Model Prompts. We can take this and turn it into why Johnny can't communicate effectively. So this, what the study did was it looked at how participants who aren't experts in, in AI really, really struggle with the prompting. And when we think about this, why are people, I mean, even, even the biggest world's expert on communication has, you know, struggles with communicating, right? Because they have something called emotions. So nobody's, absolutely nobody's perfect. You can be the best communication coach in the world. You're not the best communicator in the world. I'm going to read from this a little bit. And this, this is in the chat and it's available in the, the show description as well. Ultimately, our probe participants, so the non-AI experts, explored the prompt designs opportunistically, not systematically, and struggled in other words, if we put this into now, because we talk about how AI can make humans better communicators, now we're looking at some of the, maybe some of the roots of the problem. If you change it to our our non-communication experts explored how to communicate effectively, opportunistically, not systematically, and struggled. When we think about communication, how many of us really explore communication systematically with an end goal in mind? with how we want the other person to feel, with taking their perspective, with trying to be help with, with looking for ways that we can be helpful to them that will eventually come back and be helpful to us through leading a conversation to a place better than where it's normally headed and looking towards the outcome as well. So we don't, we often don't do that. We often approach conversations immediately opportunistically. How do we problem solve to get this off my back? How do we um, not really pay attention to what the other person's saying and we lock and load whatever our response is going to be or try to poke holes or do the other thing where we simply agree with them, try to be completely empathetic. Oh, that stinks. That person was a jerk when they cut you off. And just just this normal, which isn't bad, this normal way of, of human, human interaction and, and trying to connect. So it's interesting. Now we have a study saying if you're not a... AI expert, you struggle if you approach things opportunistically and not systematically. And we can see how if you're not a communications expert, and even if you are, and you approach a conversation opportunistically and not systematically, you are def you are going to struggle. Furthermore, uh, <laughs> Tom, I don't know why I said furthermore. I'm not the kind of person that says furthermore in general conversation. I was looking because I have to scroll down on this page because I'm looking at this article and it was like the whatever filler word popped into my head. So I'm not a furthermore person, but I will say furthermore, they observed. So they observed. Oh, man. Now I, now I can't. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to come back to it. Tom, 
I guess you can't use a word like furthermore to fill this. Oh, no. I guess what? I'll come back to it. I'll find it. Back to you, Tom. Well, let's swing over to Lee and see what he's got to say. <laughs> Let me get my breath back. Jeremy had me rolling there. Um, you know, <clears throat> well, my first concern with this is making is it making people intellectually lazy? Because if you don't have to do the research on your own, you know, and, and I mean, like one of my friends teaches college classes and he has students turning in papers written by ChatGPT and they don't even take the time to unchat GPT it. And, and you know, there are also chat GPT finders or whatever the term is, where you can run this thing through it, just like uh, just like with the uh, plagiarism finders, where you can go through and it'll say, yep, there's a 90% chance this was written by chat GPT. Right. You know, and, and one thing, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence. And I think at this point, the, the term intelligence is, is is really loose because, I mean, think about it. How many times have you called a helpline and you got an AI instead of a person and you are by the time you're done you are wanting to slam your phone against something hard because you're it, it's telling you to say you know, don't even let you punch buttons anymore it's like you know say thing you can say things like and you and of course then you know my accent isn't understood or something and you know by the time you're done you're like yeah I just want to talk to a person and or you you don't ask the right question you don't enter it the correct way you don't phrase it in a way that the AI understands. And I mean, if you ever look at the prompts, the, the the real prompts to Jeremy's point for, you know, the effective prompts for chat GPT, you know, there's some pretty serious steps there. You got to tell it to forget everything. And then you got to describe what it is. And then you got to ask the questions. And then you got to ask the question in the right way. You know, and then you got to, you know, lift your left foot and hold your tongue just right. You know, it if if you don't get all of that correct, you will get an answer, but it's not the answer you want. And if you're being intellectually lazy, you won't take the time to figure out that it's not the answer that you want. You know, that whole great power, great responsibility thing, you know, I mean, just because I can doesn't mean I should. And that is a concern for me right now because you have students that are heavily getting into this, using this for their schoolwork and their research and all this kind of stuff. And I don't really have an issue with it as a tool but they're using it as a crutch in many cases. And, and I really have a concern about that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to, I'll stop there. And let, uh, well, let me ask you leak, because, you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent where, you know, if I call a helpline, I do not want to talk to a robot. I actually want to talk to a real human being. Um, but for companies, it's a huge savings, but can we say, can we, you know, we as consumers stand here and go, no, you know what? The, the AI helplines, would you please get rid of those or at least give me an option? Because I really do want to talk to a human. Do you think we have that power? It depends. I mean, you do have the power of the purse. I mean, if there is another option, you can choose option B. But but like in my in my location here, I, I basically have one uh, provider that I can effectively use for Internet who uses an AI when you call their helpline. We just had somebody else come in recently, so maybe we'll have some, uh, you know, some competition going on. But so, no, I don't really have a choice there. And I have to go through all the dead blasted plumps before I can actually get a person. But in a lot of situations where there is competition in the market, I've actually seen uh, on advertisements, we have a real person entering the phone. I'm like, woo, let me call you. And and a lot of times the power of the purse is really going to be what's going to make that distinction, um, you know, when it's possible. Well, let's go to another real person, Linda Ann. 
It's so funny you said that about having a real person, Lee, because I remember in the 80s when voicemail when first came out and um, people would have answering machines and stuff. And I told my staff, I said, there will be a time because we always answered our phone. There will be a time when that becomes a, a factor, a deciding factor, like an advantage for a company to say, okay, well, we have real per- people now answering the phones. Because even at the very get-go, people got frustrated with that whole process. But I, I wanted to go back to what Jeremy was saying about approaching communication systematically versus, versus opportunistically and and see what you have to he has to say about that. So I can go into meetings and have it, my communication, you know, an agenda outline, my communication um, planned ahead of time and have it be organized in a very systematic, you know, thread, uh, but, or linear thread, especially, but I will always uh, defer to those teachable moments, those opportunities for communicating and developing concepts and information based on where their brain is going and what they're open to learning at the time. And what's most, and a lot of it has to do with relevancy, right? If they've got a particular problem, I can come in with an outline for them to, to go through, but they will typically have a real top of mind problem or something that they want solved. And so I will almost always go down that path with them because that's what's going to stick with them the most. If I start talking about stuff that they're not caring about at that moment, it's just noise. And so I think that um, for me and the way that I work, that that opportunistic process is is important. I need to have thought things through and be have a systematic structure to begin with so that I can follow a path. But I will almost always go down that side road with them. But but let me let me challenge that a little bit because you know as someone who does you know presentations in front of groups, I can look for verbal cues, I can look for visual cues, and I can you know change the direction of the presentation to meet their needs. But is AI really that far behind in being able to perceive those type of cues and then you know change the the path of the conversation as well? You know, I, I think it's going to, I mean, we have facial recognition now and things like that, but, you know, I think that it's going to take a bit before it can read emotions and, and responses and things like that. I mean, it, you, yeah, when you're talking in front of people, you can go, I see a lot of blank faces here, man. I don't think it's landing. What's going on? Who's got questions? Those kinds of things, you know, but I, I think we're a little ways from that. Tom, I'll. I'll go in on that. So there is a company, there's, there's multiple companies that do this. So they are able to um, do facial recognition for emotions. And even the, even the slightest things like the a tiny twitch of an eye, a tiny shoulder shrugs, a tiny shoulder shrug, even like looking at how your pupils dilate. There was a, uh, I was working with a company in a, this, this company uh, is a company out of India approached us for, you know, Hey, try out our selection. And it was it, Linda and this is going to, put a thorn in your, not a thorn in your side. You're going to have some thoughts on this, but that's, that's what they were trying to do for selection and assessment purposes. And that's, you know, with, with everything, when you look at AI, when you look at assessments and all the different laws in the U S and how much they're having a, you know, a little bit of a hard time because of all the, you know, EO re- regulations and whatnot, but there is software already because what they were trying to do was, was get a beat on like the candidate's 
personality, whether or not they're lying in a video job interview, all because of this facial recognition. They're trying to get a beat on enthusiasm and, uh, you know, emotional intelligence and all this stuff. I mean, far away from any of that being any type of valid, but it exists for what it's worth. Yeah. And as soon as it exists, people like to use it, um, <laughs> which sometimes it's not ready. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So what Lee said about the phone call experience made me think about how very loosely we're defining AI. The definition is so broad. To me, that technology is not AI. This is not much different than pushing the buttons because it's an if-then system. If they say this, then you give them that. That's no different than if they press one, you connect them here. If they press two, you connect them there. So to me, that's not intelligence of any sort. But think about what does that mean when first, before the annoying press one, if you want this, press two, if you want this, at some point, we also had foreignly located call centers. And then we are stuck with technology. So what does this, what's the overall message here? To me, it's nobody wants to answer the phones. What's going on here? Nobody wants to talk to anybody. We're either shipping that job offshore to another country, or we're trying to get a computer to do that job. So what does that say in terms of our communications? We want a good communication experience, but nobody wants to answer the phone. That is problematic when you put those two together. Do you think we're heading to a place where when people do want to talk, I don't want to talk to another, another human being. I want to talk to my AI friend because they get me. Do you think we're going to form those relationships and just, you know, the birth rate will plummet? I think that was that would be a long time, and at least for me. I just I'm usually the person who just hits zero repeatedly until either someone comes on the line or they disconnect me. I don't want your little press this or that. I want a human being, however inadequate they may be. <laughs> That's why we love to have you on the show, Dr. Martha. <laughs> Let's go to you, Carolee. Tom, what you said kind of, it's where my, my mind has been this entire conversation. And Dr. Martha, I think you have a really good point when you said that we have a very loose definition of AI. And I saw Annette that you commented in the comments a while back that we're talking about AI as if it's a person. And so that makes that like filed my brain. And I was like, okay, well, what, yeah, what is AI? How do we define AI? And how is that different than how do we, how we define what is a human? You know, what makes a human? The big questions here, the meta questions. <laughs> But um, I think it, it is really important, like Dr. Murthy said earlier, too, like to use AI as a tool to see and define it as a tool. And Dr. Jeremy, when you said that, um, that part about the space psychology, how they're making robots to be companions for the astronauts, I'm like, that kind of, that makes me a little uncomfortable because if we create, I mean, obviously robots have been around forever. There've been tons of TV shows. And all the things, but if we create this um, human-looking and like being entity um, that has likeness and qualities of humanity, yeah, Tom, uh, who is what is stopping someone from saying, "Oh, 
the cancel culture. What is stopping someone from saying, oh, I don't like what you're telling me. I'm just going to talk to my robot who's going to tell me what I want. And then, you know, it's just, uh, I can get so into the weeds of all this here. But that's, those are just some of the thoughts that I've been having during our conversation. What happens when I have to go to see a psychologist because I'm having separation anxiety from my robot counterpart? And do Uh, we call, like, great, like, do we call, um, will that be, I don't know, a a disorder? Are we going to call that in the future if someone prefers robots over human? I don't know, like, so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jeremy will answer all of them. Jeremy, let's go to you. That's so, it's such a relevant question. I love how you ask these jokes half. Uh, ask these questions half jokingly, Tom, but they're so from the eye of of an IO psychologist, they're like, they're so relevant. And it's absolutely true because when you look at the DSM four, maybe it's DSM five, I can't, I don't even, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't keep up with that. But when you look at the disorders and how they're classified, they have added some, I mean, you look at the ones that have been added since digital technology and since the internet, in terms of internet addiction, those kinds of things, I have no doubt that there's going to be, you know, some different things that are added. Um, but I, I completely agree. And there's even, even when you look at cancel culture, there's a fear of, because now with the AI, you can do video editing, you can steal someone's voice and you can make it so that somebody says something that they don't say. There's even, uh, it's even suggested if you, if you get a phone call that from a number you don't recognize, if you I always say, if it's important, they leave a voicemail. But if you feel the need to pick it up, pick it up and hit mute right away. Let them talk first, because sometimes the, I guess there's these scams going around where they're they're taking and they want to log your voice and record your voice. So now they have a recording of your voice. So now they can use AI to take your voice, mix it and call your grandmother and say, hey, you know, this person's hurt or hey, grandma, I'm hurt. Uh, can you can you wire me this money? So it's scary, and I, I think everything that we're saying is it possible? It's ninety nine percent of the stuff we're talking about is already possible. It's already being done. There's bad actors out there, but there's also good actors out there and good people to to try and help stop it. Uh, I want to I share this, and then I'm going to get back to the communication because I found a gem in terms of the communication part. But <laughs> Rich sent in the chat. Something from TylerVigan.com, like these spurious correlations. And I looked at it. It's absolutely hilarious. But it also goes back to when you look at psychology, like uh, the uh, scientific study. A correlation does not mean causation. If two things are correlated, it doesn't mean that one thing causes another. So it, it's it. these correlations are just interesting. U.S. spending on science, space, and technology correlates with suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation. The number of people who drown by falling into a pool correlates with films that Nicolas Cage appeared in. Uh, The divorce rate in Maine correlates with the per capita consumption of margarine. So (laughs) it's just this... It's just these interesting correlations, but that's it's actually perfect when you're trying to... For for you, any of you professors out there, it's tylervign.com. This is something to use for your class to help students understand that, look, correlation does not... Thank you, Rich. Does not equal causation. And here's another fun one. Per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese correlates with civil engineering doctorates awarded. So I wanted to take a quick pause for, for, for that. Now back to the meat. I'm putting in the chat a image that I'm just going to speak to real quick. And this is from why Johnny can't prompt that particular article. 
because it took us a while, but we can now see the differences in that AI talk in the, in the, if you're not a, an AI expert, you're not good at prompting AI and back to, if you're not a good communicator, you won't be effective at communication. So, and, and this is particular in programming, but we can make that parallel to human communication. The non-AI experts intuitive approach, intuitive approach to prompting AI for uh, task requirement specification was implicit, meaning they just simply imply and just hope that the AI assumes something, which is what we do in normal conversation. Their code reuse was unplanned. How often do we not really plan out our conversation? Their code testing and verification was overconfident. How many of us are overconfident? You, you, you get a room of 100 people and you say, how many of you in here are good communicators? You're going to get overconfident, right? Uh, debugging was opportunistic. Now, the expert's intuitive approach was explicit, meaning explicitly state what you want rather than make people assume, which is what we do in conversations. We might say something, but we beat around the bush or we're not explicit about what we actually want. And then what happens is another person becomes defensive because they think we're implying something that we're actually not. They're hearing words. And a little quick thing on communication. If you say something and it it elicits a negative emotional response or a normal people talking, if it hurts their feelings and they get upset about it, that's not their fault. This is my belief. That's not their fault. It's your fault. What you can do is man is lead that conversation by noticing it, saying it, shedding light on it, and then helping them understand what you were trying to say, because it may have been the way you said it, and then helping to reframe it so that you can both be aligned with what your actual perspective is, and then uh, lead it that way. The expert intuitive approach was planned versus unplanned, cautious versus overconfident, and then of course, systematic versus opportunistic. And then when we get into the machine learning aspect, the non the non expert intuitive approach for task design uh, directly map personal need. Okay, how many of us directly map our personal need in a conversation versus the expert communicator frame what is achievable? How often do we really take the time to frame a conversation? The non expert approach for for debugging: add more data, keep going. The expert was identify a solvable underlying problem. How many of us when we're having conversations with people just try to beat it into somebody's head, our perspective or why we're right or whatever by adding more data versus identifying solvable underlying problems. And then last for measuring success, the non-expert intuitive approach, consider only one performance performance metric. The experts was seek multiple performance indicators, meaning think about it. If you're having a conversation, and this is how we how we can become better communicators. We're having a conversation. How do we how do we lead it to a better place? Is it only if the outcome is one thing that we've thought of and how we want this conversation to end? Or does an effective conversation, are there different possible outcomes for the conversation that we're having with somebody? So I encourage everyone to, if you want to see this chart, it is the references in the show notes, it's why Johnny can't prompt, prompt, it's that one. And then that particular table is on page 
purposeful pause while I find the page. Uh, there's no page numbers, so you'll see it somewhere on that page. I think it's page three. Tom, it's like a scavenger hunt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're we're almost out of time, but Linda, we got enough time to get over to you. So let's go to you. Wow, that went fast. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking about you know the where people were having robotic um, companions and so forth, and having been in a relationship with someone who was unable had narcissistic tendencies and was unable to demonstrate empathy of any kind. When I tried to have that close, whether it was human touch or conversation, it was, and it was completely absent. And I could tell that it was completely, they knew the, the motions to go through, but the reality wasn't there. Right. And I'm seeing that that could be kind of the way that, that it would be to have a robotic companion and maybe create some real dysfunctionality there. Now you have me second guessing my choice. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's not such a good thing. Uh, darn. Um, <laughs> and with that, Jeremy, uh, we are almost out of time, but we haven't even talked about what's going on with CBOC yet. So what's we have coming up? We have, uh, da, 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 da. so in June, we have this whole, I forget exactly what the, the title is, but we're, our whole topic is, the digital age. Let me find it quick because we can do. I believe this. it's leadership in the digital age. Yes, yeah, so for guiding future teams. Thank you, Tom. And that's with our monthly theme of future proofing skills for tomorrow's workforce. So we have. Uh, I will note that the image associated with our event for next week is absolutely arbitrary. It means nothing. And usually there is some rhyme or reason for choosing the particular images, but this one is just nonsensical. So, hey, there's your teaser to go and check out the image and get your ticket for leadership <laughs> in the digital age. And of course, if you haven't, coming up in August, we have our free three-day experience of which we'll do an in-person meetup uh, afterwards. So get your tickets and you can click on the schedule when you go on the site and create your own schedule, see what it's all about. Tom, I do believe that's it for now. Well, let me just quickly go over, because Lee, when's your next pop-up going on? Uh, it will be uh, probably next Thursday. Sounds good. And, and Dr. Martha, you have your own podcast. Where can we find that? Yes, it's called Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Greidick, and it's available on all of the major platforms, Amazon, uh, iHeartRadio, Apple. Great. Uh, so there's lots of advice out there, you know, beyond the world of work cookie. So, you know, link in and just continue to get the best information you can. And Dr. Jeremy, with that, I think it's time for us to do a wrap and for you to just count us out of here. Beautiful as always, everyone. Yes, please check out Lee Crossin's events and Dr. Martha's podcast counting out in five, four, three, two and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.